In this episode, we discuss how Rick is using the profit-first mindset to manage company finances. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about founders who are in it for the long haul. I'm Rick, and I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. And I'm Tyler. On the side, I work with Rick on Leg Up Health, but my main business is a bootstrapped SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. What's up this week, Tyler? Not much. We're, we got a new recording schedule. Not that anyone listening can tell, but normally we record at night, and we're, we're doing it in the morning now. Yes. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this works. Um, you, I can already tell your, your, your uh, vibe is different. Well... So I don't drink coffee, but what I do drink, as you can see here, is a mini can of Dr. Pepper, 7.5 fluid ounces. This is my source of caffeine. <laughs> uh, I, my vibe's different. How is it different? Uh, do I seem I like know. a morning person or a, a night person? You're not a morning person. No. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I certainly am not. Well, and we're recording on uh, Thursdays, which is a work like in-office day. So I'm I'm in a different spot. Normally, I mm-hmm. record from home and I'm uh, at the office today. So appreciate anyway. you doing this for me. Um, it's uh, this is all in an effort for me to try to tame my life uh, <laughs> and get more control over my schedule. Yeah, I mean, that will. So my first topic actually this year is even though we're only two or two and a half weeks in revisiting some of the goals and saying, how am I doing so far? How are you doing on that? Like, do, do you feel like you're taming stuff? All right. Yeah. Like things are like, as I just start focusing on the basics, like wake, getting back to waking up at 5am in the morning, which is really important because that's the two out. It gives me two hours every day that I can just be like, if I just want to watch TV, I can watch TV. If I want to work out, I can work out. If I want to write, read, catch up on work. It's like, it's my time. Um, so I started doing that not every day, but you know, a couple days a week. Um, and yeah, I mean, things are like settling. It's, uh, I'm feeling a lot better. Cool. That's great. Um, well, so my first topic here is one of my main goals for this year, uh, that I said in our last episode was like to make time for myself to code. And so far I have failed at that. And, uh, I feel like normally we set these goals and then we don't revisit them until a year later in the annual recap. And I don't even remember what it is at the time. I want to like, I'm going to make an effort to actually bring this up somewhat regularly and be like, am I coding or not? Um, I just went, I, I, I kind of forget every year. So there's a lot of like end of year stuff that I do d- d- during in December when things are slow. For example, I kind of like update the financial model for the next year and I, you know, go through and see if there's any expenses we should cut, stuff like that. And then I always feel like going into the year, I'm done with that fresh start, hit the ground running. And then I forget that I have like 15 recurring reminders on January 1st. That's like all this other crap. Uh, You know, I have to go in and for example, we have salary transparency at the company. So I have to go calculate everyone's salary and update this wiki document. And, you know, imagine that, but times 10 or 20, like different things. So anyway, I am feeling good. Like as of today, basically, I'm looking at my to-do list and it's pretty light. And I think I should Aside from the fact that I have a lot of meetings today, like today or tomorrow, I should be able to start coding again. But I'm just saying out loud, I have not done a good job of that so far this year. Yeah, you had annual maintenance to take care of. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping hoping that was a, a two-week thing, not a year-long thing. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I uh, look forward to the next update. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, on, I'm excited. On Sunday, I'm flying to uh, Montreal to... There's some ski resort near there. I forget the name of it. Uh, go to Big Snow Tiny Comp. 
uh, Montreal. That brings yeah. back some memories. Yeah, that's where my bachelor party was. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> we didn't really do the Montreal thing though. We just went to McDonald's every night because that's <laughs> that's how I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, what well, do you know? The ski resort. What's it called? Oh, I should. Anyone listening who I think there's like one good ski resort there that. Um, Although, you know, East Coast skiing, I was so spoiled. The first place I ever skied was Park City, and I just thought that was normal. Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm not quickly finding the name of it. I'm so bad at remembering names of things. Anyway, we're going to a ski resort there. Uh, Big Snow Tiny Conf is, yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, it's like 10-ish people, and I'm grateful to get invited to that. And it's kind of like, you know, it's a conference, but is it really a conference if it's 10 people? it, it, It feels more like a meetup in a good way. Like I don't like conferences. Uh, but so like I, you know, I have like a little talk to give, which is, it's less like, I feel like a normal conference talk is I'm an expert and you are my disciples. Here's my wisdom. This is more like, I'm going to say some things and the crowd is going to yell at me, uh, cause I'm doing stupid shit and they're going to tell me that. So, uh, I'm kind of ready to go get, uh, roasted a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird well, though. Yeah. I, do you have yeah, topics to take, like things that you want to bring to the group? I've got a handful of things, but I'll, I'll be honest, it was kind of hard to come up with topics this year because I don't have like a burning question. Um, or, or rather, I I think I know what the plan is this year, and I think this year is really about execution. This is why I also mentioned a few times recently, I don't think I'm going to have great topics to bring the podcast because I'm just like, my update is going to be, we are coding. We are building <laughs> all the features we expected to build. Like, I, I don't think there's big strategic conceptual things I'm struggling with right now. But uh, having said that, last year I went to Big Snow, Tiny Humph, and the biggest value I got was something I did not go in there asking about. And that was, um, I, I think I mentioned this on the podcast, but just to say it again, like <laughs> the general dynamic was I do a lot of stupid business stuff because I am just too much of a weakling to like be to take what's mine or whatever. Like a normal entrepreneur would be like, raise prices as high as people are willing to pay. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to justify it. Stop talking about it. Um, it, There was a bunch of stuff like that where I was just like, we our customer service is too good. We pay our customer service people too much. And everyone said, stop doing that. N- not, not really, but they were like, why are you doing that? And I was like, I don't know. It feels right. And then somebody raises their hand and is just like, I'm on your website right now. And it doesn't talk about any of this. Like you're doing all this stuff that makes you less money and is good for the customer and you're not even telling the customer you're doing it. So the biggest benefit I got from last year was we completely changed our positioning. And if you go to our homepage right now, everything about the homepage changed. Uh, And you've, Rick, before said that, I I think you said you liked the change, but uh, it's all based on just one little kind of offhand comment that happened last year at Big Snow Tiny Com. So I'm hoping to get a lot of value. I just don't know what it's going to be. No, that's great. And I, I think um, the generally, like when you can get out of your day to day in a in a group of people that you don't normally spend time with, talking intention, like forcing yourselves to talk about life, business, um, you you pick up a lot. Of, first of all, you get challenged, and quite, people ask you questions in different ways that you haven't been asked. And then you also get to like listen to the other people, exp- like kind of do the same thing and Mm -hmm. you you pick up a lot of stuff. Like it's a very valuable exercise. Yeah. It's also, I think just good. You know, they say being a founder is lonely. Um, I have like a team of 20 people and we are very close and I like have a lot of social interaction with them, but there is something to the idea that like, 
it's it's not that I'm I'm not like literally lonely. I have a lot of social contact with people, but there are some issues that only other founders can really relate to. And just it, it is kind of cathartic just being in that environment. I agree. Yeah, I love it. So, um, are you? Uh, what's the what's the skiing level of of people um, going? Is it like you have do you have to be a certain level of skiing to 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 go, or is it? Uh, I think it's like the expectation is no one should need to babysit you, but you know, some people are, so it's, uh, there's a number of people coming back, but there's a few new people. I don't know how they'll be. Um, last year it was, I'd say kind of like upper beginner was the, the worst, like they can go down, they don't need to be babysat, but they're not going down anything challenging up through, I'd say a couple people were like noticeably better than me. I don't think anyone was as good as you. Um, so it's not like expert level mm-hmm. for the most part. Well, I haven't skied in three years, so. Well, um, no one was as good as you used to be about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Um, I, I told you what my brother's doing. I don't think so. He's at ba- in Banff. Uh, he's been for the past two years uh, ski instructing there. Wow. Um, he's 20, like early, early, early 20s. Um, and so he's going to ski circles around me when we actually go skiing <laughs> together. Banff is such a cool place, but I'd much rather live in Park City when, in my, like when I'm 20 years old than in Banff when I'm 20 it's years old. It's freezing like the, cold. The, the, well, it's freezing cold and the town sucks. It's just, it's beautiful nature, but like, I don't know. <laughs> You've been there. I've been there twice, but both during the summer. So maybe mm. it's a completely different vibe in the winter, but parks, like, it does not, because it's in, a, I think it's in a national park, if I'm not mistaken. It's not a city with bars and, I mean, there's a little strip, but, uh, it's not, yeah, I don't know. I haven't actually looked at pictures uh, other than what he sent me, like of, of himself skiing, but like, yeah, it's, I'm looking at it online right now. It's beautiful, but very national parkish. Yeah. Great. It's, uh, I would like to go there in the winter. It's amazing in the summer. It's a really great place to visit. Anyway, uh, what's going on with you? Well, um, big leg up health goal for the year was implement profit first and, uh, we're off to the races with that. So, there are some baking changes we need to make. Um, so, um, profit first is, refers to like basically living on what you're making and then, you know, ordering sort of, um, spin expenditures, uh, based on percentages ahead of time and just living within those percentages. And so we have set JD salary for the year. We have set our profit sharing, like profit first refers to paying yourself profit first. So we have a partner distribution of 1% of our revenue is like our first sort of tax on the business. Um, then we, uh, have our necessary expenses, which is like roughly a thousand dollars a month, um, uh, uh, on average. And then, uh, we, we cut really hard there. I was, um, one, one thing we had a partner meeting recently and I was, we, 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 I was planning to keep some things and it was clear that you and JD were like, that's not something we need. And so we cut it (laughs) and it feels I thought it was going to be painful, but like I actually have relief as a result of cutting it, but I was very worried about cutting it. And yeah, it was an interesting exercise because we were going through and like spending our, the three of our time, which is valuable. Like you and I are not full time on the business. So, uh, our time is limited and we were spending time debating a $10 a month expense. (laughs) And like a part of me is like, it's not worth, like, it's not worth our time to think about this, but also that's how you end up. I don't know. I, I think it's probably good to to have the muscle of like, let's be frugal at this stage of the business. The the, the other benefit that I didn't expect from this exercise is I actually, I felt like alone in the finances 
mm. of the business um, for the past couple of years. And I now feel like there there's like 100% transparency on uh, what money we're making, where it's coming from, and uh, also what money we're spending and where it's going. Um, and so I just, I just, there's like a burden that's been lifted off of me in terms of like, and, and we're going to talk about any, any expenditures we add, we, we will talk about. And frankly, yeah. JD is going to be the one driving most of that. Um, can can I dig into that a little? Like I, that sounds a lot like how I feel about transparency in general mm-hmm. at, at a company. Like right now the company is only partners. And so you, I don't know if you've, it, it's probably not worth your time to think about this yet, but like, is is it worth being transparent with the whole company or just with partners? But this is generally how I feel at Less Annoying, where there are some partners, but mostly employees. Every time I'm transparent about something, I'm like, this is a bit of a pain. I have to think more carefully about what I say and all that. But once you say it, you're like, okay, there are no secrets anymore. I don't have, like, going forward, I can be totally open about what I say because I don't have to think, well, is this public information or not? So anyway, I, I feel like transparency in general kind of has this upfront burden and then long-term payoff. Agreed. Uh, There's a lot of effort in like uh, creating transparency in the first place. But then there's like, if you really want to do it right so that you can maintain transparency, there's actually even more engineering involved so Mm -hmm. that you can maintain it. Like, because if you just like do it and it's like a very manual process, like you're not going to keep doing it. So you have to set up a system to manage it. And so I think that's what I spent a lot of time on the last 30 days. And I feel really good about it. Um, the other the other benefit is like sort of predetermined decision making around budgeting. So like because of the percentages we set up, so it's like one percent. Uh, if anyone's interested in this, it's one percent to, to to shareholders necessary expenditures of a like kind of a fixed uh, fixed budget. Um, then there's a fixed sort of like base pay for JD, um, and then there's like uh, a tax savings. Uh, a t- a, you know whatever's left over there is like what we call like our our first level of profit and. Um, we have a, a sort of 15% going into like a, a savings account for tax purposes um, for corporate taxes. Um, and then after that, uh, we have a treasury savings of another 15% where we're basically saying, let's set aside another 15% in case we want to have expenditures that are not budgeted. So let's say we wanted to get together in person or JD wants to travel or who knows, like rainy day fund. Um, and then, uh, and then, and then the rest like is like okay, this is available to pay JD variable every month, um, and uh, up to a certain amount. And then we, yeah, it's so, like, so his base pay is enough for him to survive, but not enough for him to be happy. Basically, is, mm-hmm. is that about right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like enough. It's enough to like not feel like we're. It's something to worry about. Um, and then the variable comes out up to a certain amount and gets him to his target comp. And then after that, uh, we kind of go save it like we don't really have really thought through that next stage yeah so but like the runway on this is basically until jd gets to a start comp we have how we're going to spend money every month sort of predetermined um yeah and it's very very nice to have that yeah i it was great for me i i just having a better sense of how the finances work has been interesting but like looking at it i had a few like thoughts that maybe i can share with you i love that so one you you said like the first 1% goes towards like profit to partners. And I think this is very similar to the concept in personal finance of pay yourself first. Are you familiar with that? Yes. Okay. Where you take, you get paid and before the money even makes it into your real account. So I think there's different ways to do it, but like you have two different accounts, your money goes into one account, but you never touch that immediately. It transfers some percentage of that into your investment, like your brokerage account. 
and then it puts the rest into your real checking account. So it's it's one thing to be like, I got paid $10,000. I'm going to spend some money. How much do I have left over to save? But if you're like, no, I only got paid $9,000 because a thousand's already in savings, you just an- immediately adapt to that new reality. Um, it seems like 1% is a very small number. I assume the goal is to get that number higher over time. Yes. So there's kind of two factors. It's a percentage so that as revenue grows, the one that that one percent becomes um more meaningful mm-hmm. so there's sort of like you know it, it, that that one percent gets more powerful as we grow the business but but also we want to ratchet up that percentage like i would love to have it you know be you know anywhere from five to ten percent at some point yeah. yeah that sounds right and that gets pretty meaningful like if we're doing five million on top line revenue at some point um which I, that's the business we build at people keep right um over over eight to 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the same 10 years, we're at 5 million in top line. That's 500,000 at 10% profit share paid first. That's $500,000 in partner distributions before we even think about actually taking a base salary uh, or variable comp associated with the jobs that we're doing for the business. So yeah. it's pretty exciting. So that was one thought I had another, I, it was interesting. So like Rick set this up in a spreadsheet where like the going top down. And so, you know, the top comes out first and then the next is interesting going between percentages and dollar amounts. Cause it was take out 1%, then take out a thousand dollars a month for expenses, then take out 5,000 or whatever the number is for salary. And then it goes back to percentages. And it's, it was just interesting seeing this kind of stack. I I've just never thought about money that way. Like for me, it's like, we've got a pool. I think of it as a pie chart and it's, it's kind of all being taken out at the same time. And then, um, the the final thing of just well nope I'm having a brain fart I forget what my final point was but anyway I, it was really interesting looking through it uh, I, I thought the stack thing that you're saying is interesting um, yeah like I, I think uh, it simplifies it right like it, it makes it more of like a flow diagram um, where it's like uh, you know step one you know then decision mm-hmm. and then if this do step two if otherwise do step three. Versus like, you know, it just like happening. Um, yeah, because th- normally you think about percentages of the, the whole pie. And yeah. here you're saying, well, I've already subtracted this, I've subtracted this, I've subtracted this, and then it's 15%, and then subtract another $500, and then it's 10% of that. It's a whole different way of thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, it's multiple pies, right? Like we're, we're basically, you know, uh, you know, splitting up the pie and then rebaking the pie. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but but uh, anyway, it's, it's um, I think... Uh, I have a feel like there's so many benefits from this. Um, and then I'm ex- extremely excited to see how it, it changes JD's mindset. Cause I, I think it's going to like make him feel like a real, like full entrepreneur, not that he shouldn't already. Um, cause he should, but like, I think like I can already tell how he like, he's like, he's checking the commission statements with, with mm-hmm. a closer eye. Like there's just little things that are happening that are, that are just really positive for the long-term stake of the business. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, I think there's some burden that he's taken on as a result of this that I'm, I think I need to pay attention to because I think uh, it can be it's hard to like be responsible for this type of stuff. And um, but but I think the, the the benefits will outweigh the negatives. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. But what, what, what else is going on in your world? So yesterday we had a, a big migration. We we fully switched to paddle um, for our billing. So I've ta- I've been talking about paddle for a long time and we sort of like quasi we switched in the sense, like the, the way you migrate something like this, and for people who don't know, Paddle is a payment processor. We were previously using Stripe. Um, we are switching basically just for tax compliance reasons. I am 
fully conflicted about whether or not it was the right move, but I think it's the risk reduction move. Um, but so uh, maybe a couple months ago, we did the first switch, which is anyone who pays or updates their billing, like when they go to the billing page in Less Knowing Serum, instead of seeing a Stripe checkout, they see a Paddle checkout. So gradually over the last couple months, people have been moving over. I think about 10% of our customers prior to yesterday were on Paddle. Which actually sort of surprised me. Like ten percent of people touch their billing over a two month period. I, I would have guessed it would be lower than that, but anyway. Uh, but yesterday was the like we had exported all the credit card information. So so once everyone that updates is using Paddle, at that point everyone in Stripe is is locked in. As in, no one can change billing info in Stripe anymore. So at that point, it's safe to export everything out of Stripe, even if you don't run the migration for another month nothing could change about the Stripe data, right? So we, a while ago, had ex, we told Stripe, export the data, send it over to Paddle. Paddle has all this credit card information. And then yesterday, the real migration, what happens is we export all the data out of our system to basically tell Paddle, here are the people who, like, like you have a month old data about Stripe data. You don't know who's active and who's not still. Here are the people who are actually active right now in our system. Only in like activate subscriptions and you know we tell them there's this many users this is their currency and so on so anyway yesterday was the day the remaining 90% of our customers switch over to paddle now they won't notice until they get billed which will happen gradually over the next month but uh as of right now we're 99.9% off stripe cool yeah um <laughs> it's one of those projects that not there's nothing good about it it's like at the end of the day we are still charging people money and it, there's no upside really, but it's been taking so much time and I'm really glad to move on. Yeah. It, this is um, one of those, I think anytime you're, you're reducing risk um, in a business, which is what you're doing with this change, like it, there is no immediate benefit. It's just peace of mind. And so like, it's like so painful and distracting. Yeah. yeah. Um, there, yeah, there've just been, it, it's one of those projects where, you know, you kind of spec it out. And they, they initially told us, they were like, on average, it takes about two weeks of dev work. And I knew that was bullshit to begin with, but I, I changed that to two months in my head. It was like four. And and of, of Robert, our lead developer, I mean, this was like major, major opportunity cost, not to mention it's going to cost us, I think, something like $80,000 a year in extra credit card fees. Um, so yeah, and we'll never know. Would there have... <laughs> So the in case people don't get what I mean by tax compliance, in theory, software as a service is taxed in about half of U.S. states. Nobody actually does that. Um, but in theory, a state like Texas, which has sales tax on SaaS and is big and has a large population, meaning we have a lot of customers there, they could come to us and be like, you don't just owe taxes for last year. You owe taxes for the last 10 years. you know. And every year you keep not handling sales tax, that burden, that liability goes up and up and up. And the question is, will that ever happen? Um, Basecamp, a much bigger company than us, but still like a, a bootstrap SaaS company, apparently they got one of these tax bills is my understanding. And that's what it like. Uh, Justin Jackson from Transistor.fm had a podcast episode about this and he made me that that's when, when this got on my radar. And so, yeah, I I have no idea if we ever would have gotten that letter from Texas, but well, hopefully you don't ever. <laughs> yeah, you still well, have I mean, risk, right? Like you still have exposure for the past taxes. For past, yeah. Um, but like, 
you know, and the, I should I, say we've been paying some, we've been paying sales tax anywhere. You know what? Actually, we have been paying sales tax in uh, Texas because we have an employee in Texas. I forgot that. Um, so that's a bad example. But but what we've been doing is we just charge everyone the the fifteen dollars a month, and then we pay the sales tax out of that money. So we actually make less money off of customers in Texas, Missouri, and Massachusetts, which is where we have employees. That's cool. Um, yeah. That's, so you're you're you're. you're this is going to be done. And then it's basically like, you're never going to think about it again ever. Yeah. Certainly hope assuming. So there's still a lot of little random bugs and stuff like that. There's assuming we can get that all under control. Then yes, we'll never think about this again. (laughs) It's not been smooth, but anyway, glad to get that out of the way. Um, I do have, I don't like there. I I have one other thing to say about this. There've been a lot of annoyances in this process and I don't want to be too hard on paddle. It's a hard thing to do, not just to be a payment processor, but to be a merchant of record. Uh, One of the things I learned from this, though, is like how dangerous it is to outsource something customer facing. Because Paddle's a merchant of record, which means our customers are not paying us. Like with Stripe, our customers pay us. Stripe just facilitates it. With Paddle, our customers pay Paddle, and then Paddle technically is licensing our software and paying us a licensing fee. That is why Paddle's able to handle taxes for us. What that means is the emails our customers get come from Paddle. And this the credit card, uh, if you go on a credit card statement and look at the, you know, it has a phone number. Here's who to call if there's a problem. That phone number goes to Paddle. Uh, every time our customers have been dealing with Paddle's customer service, and they Paddle pitches this as like one of the benefits is we'll handle some of your billing support. You, you can stop doing that. We've gotten so many complaints from our customers. Um just slow response times. People in the US who are like, why did I get billed? And Paddle's like, well, there's VAT where you live. And VAT is not a thing in the US. It's called sales tax here. And they're just using the wrong terminology, which of course confuses our customers. And on and on and on. Um, so we we did at one point have to just be like, Paddle, like send every customer service request to us. Because like we we can't have our customers talking to you directly. And it, it was a pretty hard reputational hit for us to take for a while there. Ugh. It just makes me cringe. Yeah. Now most SaaS companies have shitty support, so maybe you want maybe you'd be like, well, you can get our shitty support, or you can get Paddle shitty support, but uh, our customers, they're incredibly. I also I feel bad for Paddle. They're like, we replied in three days. That's fine, and we're like, no, you need to reply in an hour. Like our customers expect that, <laughs> so it, it's it's kind of unfair for us to expect Paddle to live up to our standard. But also, I'm just like, this is a, this is why you don't outsource shit, you know? Yeah, exactly. Especially when it's your differentiator. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how about you? You got anything else? Yeah. So um, JD and I have our weekly meeting on Thursday mornings, um, early in the morning. We had that today. Uh, we had a lot of follow-up, just like kind of wrapping up the profit sharing, uh, profit first framework. Um, but then we started moving into growth planning. So um, as you may recall, our, our growth goal for the year, our base plan is to double to 200K in ARR. Stretch goal is to get to 400K ARR. So we're going to do bet planning around 4K, 400K in ARR um, just to you know kind of force us to, to think outside the box. Um, but uh, we're, we didn't get very far on this today, but I wanted to run this by you. We, uh, we, we started talking and we're trying to figure out like what's the one metric that we want to focus on. Like if you focus on ARR, it's like not that tangible to impact today. And so it's hard to, you actually have to like draw lines to actually get to actions that matter. Yeah. It's like a uh, lagging indicator. Yeah, exactly. So we're trying to, I, I, I think like that the right metric to track is how many 
ICP pitch meetings. Are we having ICP stands for ideal customer profile? So our ICP is a Utah small business center. I don't know with let's say five to 25 employees. So if we're like, ha- like if we have a pitch meeting, I think that like if JD has at the very worst, like 10 pitch meetings, he's going to close one deal. I actually think it's probably like when we perfect this, it's going to be closer to like a 50, 50, um, sort of pitch process. But like, let's just say it's, you know, 10, one, one in 10 or, you know, something, you know, just for, mm-hmm. for planning purposes, how do we get, you know, how do we get a, you know, if there's 20 days in a month, if we want to get two customers a month, which would be plenty to get past our 200 K goal. And then if we could get two a month, we could probably double it to, you know, four from there. Like we need a meeting a day. Yeah. Uh, how do we get to a meeting a day? That's is sort of the question that we're focusing our growth around. Um, is that the right way to think about this or would you challenge that? No. Yeah. I, I think that makes sense. I'm, th- it feels like the answer in the future might be word of mouth is a huge part of it, but that can't, that that's never the answer in the, the very early stages of something. There just aren't enough existing customers for that. Um, so yeah, I mean, have you, have you gotten into that or are you just kind of saying you're starting to, that's where we left it is like, okay, so we're, we're going to frame our planning around how do we get to one ICP pitch meeting a month, which is one small business owner in Utah that is allowing us to pitch them a month, you know, a day, sorry, a day, um, a day. And then, you know, if we do that, we can, we 20 a month because you know, weekends don't count and you convert 10% of them. So that's how you get to to two. two a month. Yeah. Which would be uh, a lot, and 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 the the general hypothesis here is that if we meet with ICP customers, it's going to feed our three product lines, which are basically group health insurance, um, leg up benefits, and then consumer, you know, consumer uh, leads. Yeah, it seems like in the past, the um, a pretty common path has been you talk to a business owner and you say, "Hey, let's switch your whole business owner over," and they say, "No," but I need help with my individual insurance. Can you just handle me? And so you kind of get a consumer lead that maybe six months later will turn into an employer lead. But you Correct. St- you're you're kind of you're starting with the employer, dropping back, falling back to consumer, and then upgrading to employer later. Is that like? Do you think that's likely to be the the best model to kind of target? I, so I actually think it's really hard to. That's not publicly available information whether someone offers group health insurance or not. So uh-huh. it's actually very. I, I think part of the advantage we have is that we can just go to any small business owner that has five to twenty five employees, which is generally public, like or like estimatable. You can get, yeah, yeah, you can get the. Um, and so, so we, and going to them saying like, we don't care what you do, we want to serve you, we are better at this, and 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 we'll learn what what how the percentages break down, like who's more likely to take the call. Um, and then as we, as we find out their situation, we might, you know, double down on a more specific pitch on like what we recommend for them, but to get the meeting, I don't think it's targeting, um, a particular, uh, situation. It's targeting the small business owner. Um, so the, I, the definition of an ICP here is very broad. Like it's, 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 it's any small business basically in Utah with five to 25 employees. Yeah. Um, in Utah co-located. So, okay. I get what you're so. Technically, Leg Up Health has an offering for. Anyone. Oh, I should say we are, we've also said professional services is. Like, oh, okay. Uh, okay. Is, is so in the profe- in because general because prof- they're less likely to have group group plans or what? Um, it's it's so it, very interesting question. So this is not about whether what they decide to do. Like I know that that's a mindset that we've been in the past, but like we do not care 
what our customers do. If they want to do group health insurance, great. Well, if they want to give people money, great. I, I want to push back on this. Yeah. So, so, um, so, so what matters is that they have a budget for benefits and that their employees make enough money where they can afford health insurance and don't like kind of out of the Medicaid piece. So what that ends up being is a company that has um, salary jobs versus hourly jobs, more white collar versus blue collar. And so you end up in like targeting in, like kind of sub industries that uh, have more of a, like a, a salary type uh, role. Okay. So that makes sense to me, but I, I want to push back on what I said versus what you said, because mm -hmm. I'm not saying we need to be pushing no group. Like we can go to an employer and say, we'll offer you any of these three things, but that doesn't mean that targeting has to say, we don't care what you're currently doing. So for example, with less knowing CRM, it's a different pitch. Someone who isn't using a CRM right now and has an Excel spreadsheet is a very different pitch from someone who is using Salesforce. They're both going to end up using less annoying CRM. That's going to be the end destination. But one is easier to sell than the other. Yeah. And I'm not disagreeing with that. Um, but you can't, tar it's, it's very difficult to target based on non-publicly available information. Um, and uh, people aren't posting like and sharing publicly. Like it's much easier to find out if someone has Salesforce with tools yeah, like yeah. built with than it is to find out if someone offers group health insurance. Okay. But yeah, I, I assume some industries have a higher uh, penetration of group insurance than others. Um, maybe there's other like correlation things like that. I don't know. Maybe like there, well, we, there's probably some assumptions we can make is like, Hey, when we reach out to 10 businesses, um, there's probably like a, the, the, on average, five of them will be in this situation. Three of them will be in this situation and two of them will be in this situation. But yeah, um, but above five employees, the likelihood to offer group health insurance increases pretty substantially compared with below five employees. Yeah, I would think that I, it makes total sense what you're saying, that professional services tend to have high margins and like white collar employees. I would think that almost all of them would have group plans. Is that not the case? No, um, I don't know. I, I, th I think the reality is like, if I knew this, I would be like, yeah, let me tell you like what we know about um, situations you know, by industry and like what our close rates are by that. Yeah, um, I don't. Um, okay. So I think part of what we're going to do is we're going to go set ICP meetings and then we're going to sort of, it's going to develop its own sort of process. Like at the end of the day, like we need to figure out how to get meetings with people we don't know much, much about other than what's available publicly. Um, and then JD it's like- was, JD was doing this last year, right? Like we're not starting from scratch here. He was mostly reaching out to people um, that- he was already do. Was he already doing what? Like reaching out to business owners? I thought so. Yeah, was he? Yeah, not? he was already doing that. Um, uh, I wouldn't say that he was booking one meeting a, a day mm -hmm. to pitch. Um, so that, I think that's a that's a big difference. Yeah, the goal's different. Uh, yeah, okay. I'll, it'll be interesting to get updates on this. I wonder. So yeah. you don't have a plan yet, so there's nothing to report on, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, no, no, there's no plan. But like, I think if if the the, the general question is like is this the right thing to focus on? And do we just like put our head down on trying to get one ICP meeting yeah. a day or, or should we be thinking about this in different context? And I, don't I like that metric a lot. Yeah. So what, what could go wrong here? Maybe as a question mm -hmm. to ask, do you, do you have anything you're like worried about? I guess the main thing I'm worried about is that the, we are missing an easier path. Um, mm -hmm. to growth. Um, so this is definitely the old school knock on doors. It's just hard and grueling. And, you know, if, if, 
it doesn't grow generally while you're not working. Um, yeah. and so I can, I think there's like, is there, is there something that's like very obvious that if we just built or did and measured twice, cut once, it would just work. Like that's the thing that I guess I, I worry that we're missing out on. But I, I think like I've gone in search of those and never, like I always regret not just doing the hard work to get this sales machine built. Yeah. Although it, okay. It makes me think of something that happened um, last year. And again, for listeners, I'm in a lot of these meetings, but I don't know what's going on. So I'm basically just observing and I'm going to, I'm going to share what it looked like from my perspective, which was JD was doing all kinds of work trying, you know, we're going to pay for this paid channel. I'm going to find people on LinkedIn. I'm going to use this cold prospecting tool. And then at one point we had a meeting where you asked him, look back at the, uh, the leads we actually got. Cause we have some employer clients, right? Like yeah, 10 or 10. something. Yeah. Um, and you're like, where'd we get those 10? And it was like eight of them came from a personal referral or, uh, the, the owner of the business was already a consumer client of ours. And like, all of that work grinding he was doing was basically not where any of those 10 people came from. I think that is a, a potential concern here is that like you could grind and grind and grind and it turns, this is the same thing you're saying that there's maybe an easier path, but like, yeah. Can, can you reproduce the easy kind? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, yeah. And so uh, anyway, like if you look at like, how do we get these customers? Like how do we, we have 160 clients, 10 employers, um, hundred K in ARR. Like most of this came from like surges of the right behaviors of like getting to the right people, primarily through networking mm -hmm. um, and looking at our relation, existing relationships and figuring out how to, you know, turn those into either introductions. And so I, I think it's, I think it's as simple as saying, how do we find more customers and how do we like stop doing things that aren't leading to more customers or servicing our customers and like stop getting distracted by like shiny gold um, I, I really think it's like very basic. Um, yeah. If you put in, and then, you know, there's some number of like, in an ideal world, like by the end of March, we have a pretty solid, like if, if a person, whether it's JD or me or someone we hire does these activities every day for a week, um, over the course of multiple weeks, it will turn into one meeting a month uh, mm -hmm. or sorry, one meeting a day. Um, and, if we figure that out, then we've got a pretty interesting business um, that you can optimize on top of. Um, but right now, it's like I, I'd be one question I'd be interested in asking JD if you were here is like, what do you what is your plan today to generate a meeting? And I I don't think that's like what he's thinking about right now. Yeah, well, yeah, we're it's still kind of in recovery mode from open enrollment, but it needs to be what he and you probably are. And are you planning on doing marketing and stuff this year? What are you going to be focusing on? Do you think? I, I want to, f I, I think one of the mistakes we made last year is we had a lot of stuff going on across like what, like multiple people. And it's, uh, I, I don't want that this year. So mm -hmm. like, I, I think if we're going to go after one pitch meeting, uh, you know, a day, like that's what we should all be working on until we yep. hit it. Um, so you're going to be trying to get some of these meetings for him. Yes. And that could be networking like, or however. whatever, like whatever levers I can pull. Um, and uh, if I'm working on something else, it's less likely to happen. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I, I said earlier what could go wrong here. I'm not worried about this in this case, but I think it's worth saying out loud that one of the benefits of working with like a partner who has skin in the game. I know a lot of indie founders want to like hire people for a dollarly uh, a dollar per hour rate or something like that. They don't, they don't want to really bring on and it's like a fear of commitment almost or like a, I want to be in control of everything. So. I'm not worried about JD because he has skin in the game. 
But in a different world, you could say your KPI or whatever is how many calls are you having with ICPs? And you could imagine that leading to a world where A, he's he has every incentive to define ICP wrong, to just be like, well, I'm doing calls. I'm doing the thing you're paying me for, uh, but that they don't convert. I again, I don't think we're in that situation, but it's it, in a if things were slightly, slightly different, I would be worried about that. Well, and the thing that happened last year, I think that that because we didn't have this this profit framework in place, um, is I think we spent more money testing things than we should have, and mm. I think that you know if you if you look at like okay, we don't have money to spend on marketing. We, we really it kind of just like eliminates so many options. It's like listen, we just need to go talk to people. Yeah. Yeah, it's so hard not to be like, well, is that going to scale? Or, well, what are we going to do next year when we have to get twice as many? And it's like, well, that's a problem for next year. We can get, if the goal is to get 10, 20, 30 employer clients this year, like, yeah, that feels very doable with just networking. Yeah. And if we do that, uh, most likely it will be repeatable um, with some sort of playbook and we can hire people to do that. And to go do it again for another thirty, but uh, you know it's it's just that's that's how that's that's how I've seen it work in past businesses, and hmm. and it, it it generally it it generally works itself out. Hmm. But if you can't get to the one meeting a day, it's that's a whole different problem. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, I assume this will be an ongoing theme that we'll keep talking about. A hundred percent. What else is on your list? Um, I want to talk about a concept, and I forget if I mentioned this. Did I use the word minivan? In the last episode, to you, okay. I, I, oh, yeah. I thought I, mentioned well, I, I was. That. I was actually listening to our episode on the way on the commute yesterday to the office, um, back and forth, and I, I really, like, I, I appreciated the car analogy. I think you, you, one thing you said was, um, uh, would you rather have half a Ferrari or a complete like piece of crap and uh, car? And it's like you'd rather have the piece of crap because it's actually functional, and a half a Ferrari is worthless. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then you expanded it into this minivan analogy, and I, I actually really liked it. Cool. Uh, I'm you were gl- talking about cup holders and yeah. So know. for if anyone didn't listen or like me forgets things uh, in that short a period of time, like yeah, basically the idea is less annoying. Serum's not trying to build a sports car. We're not trying to build something with the most horsepower, with the nicest interior, or whatever. We're building a minivan, meaning cup holders. Like people, like yes, it has to be able to drive, but it's about being practical, being comfortable, not being sexy, not being powerful. Um, so yeah, and I, I, I really like this. This is my brother's terminology. He, he kind of came up with this, but I really like it. I think this describes me as a person. Um, because like, if you look at how I dress, I, I wear the same outfit every day. I mean, I make sure it's a different color, but otherwise like I have a stack of the exact same shirt. I take whichever one's on top and I wear it. And I think a lot of people, it, it's easy to imagine I don't care about quality. I don't care about design. Like I think people get confused that I'm a designer that dresses this way. And I'm a designer that makes software that doesn't look sexy. Um, and there's this other type of design. And I think like designing a minivan, I, I love having this as just, this is my whole philosophy about everything. And it explains who I am. Okay. <laughs> uh, I actually do the same thing. I like wear the same thing every day. Yeah, but I have. I would say I, I. I would say I look better than you. And what I. And I. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, you. I, I, you absolutely put more effort into your appearance than I do. Which, but like, but 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 do I? I actually like. I think I just my. I think my stack of of shirts is well, of a different quality. How often do you get your hair cut? Every four weeks. 
Yeah. So what do you more do? More than me. I have no idea, but less than that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I remember when we were roommates, you were looking through, was it Brooks Brothers? You like were looking through business casual catalogs all the time. I, I what? Was like, Rick, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> no, I was yeah, not. Was. I, forget the brand. I forget the brand. It was Joseph A. <laughs> you Banks. care about your shoes. We'd be at work yeah. and we were about to go out to a bar and you'd be like, I got to go home and change my shoes. I'm like, <laughs> your shoes are coast, fine. <laughs> yeah, that's the East Coast thing. I, that, that is not a problem anymore. I will, okay. I've, I've adopted the West Coast attitude around food, shoes. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah. But <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I think we're probably maybe... Not totally similar, but but more similar than a lot of people. And you wouldn't see the decision making is not worth it. Like, why would I want to decide what I want to wear every day? I'd rather have that decision predetermined. Yeah, absolutely, totally agree. Um, so like a, a couple of comments on how this. I got five minutes, and then I got to go. A couple of comments on how this affects lessening CRM. Um, so because we're going to be working on cup holder projects, that really gets us back to our roots of just like customers are asking for things. Now it's up to us to prioritize it. And we're going to say no to some things. I'm not saying we're literally just going to do whatever customers say, but like, it's so liberating to just be like, our, our roadmap for this year is the stuff customers want the most, basically, um, which is how it was back in the day when, honestly, when growth was a lot easier. Are those two things related? Time will tell. Probably yep. not. I can't wait to hear about it. The other thing, though, is I'm a little conflicted about Maybe three to six months ago, I said we, we were kind of making a change to how we worked on dev projects, which is like in the early days, we said every developer works on one project. And, you know, if there's three developers, there's three projects going on in parallel. And there are advantages to that. There's no communication overhead of them, you know, having to work together. But the downside is as the dev team grows, now we're working on our eighth most important thing because there's eight developers instead of moving faster on the most important thing. These cup holder projects, which by which I mean, again, just small little quality of life improvements to the CRM, none of them are big enough to have multiple people on them, really. And so I do think this takes us back into a world where not 100% of the time, but more of the time people are just each person's working on a different project. I don't know how to feel about that. Well, I think if it, a whole year goes by and... Well, you, you, I don't think you... This is the the path that you're on, and you got to let it play. So you got to yeah. see what happens. Um, that might not be a bad thing, by the way, in your, at your phase. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, what I have, my hypothesis is that by doing this, getting back to your roots, something is going to like come up through this that's going to pull the team together um, on something that you you identify as like, oh, this is the number one thing. Um, and I think that will happen naturally. It may not happen immediately, but I'd be very surprised if if before the end of the year, there's not like the, a an exciting customer driven uh, project that sort of is is pull is sort of ma- like the magnet that pulls everyone together. I don't I don't think yeah. you know what that is, and that's probably uncomfortable. I mean, we're doing one of those right now, but this is like before the new strategy kicks in. We're working on bulk actions, which I've talked about before, and like almost the whole dev team is going to be on it as soon as they finish their other projects. Uh, but but yeah, like part of it is that I'm trying to specifically prioritize high uh, impacts to effort ratio. And those almost by definition, after bulk actions, those almost by definition are small projects. It's very unlikely that a really, really massive project has the best impact to effort because it's so much effort. Like the denominator is so big, the, the impact would have to be astronomical. So almost all these are small projects. Probably once we knock out a lot of these small projects, then we can move on to to bigger ones again, I guess. Yeah, or or something naturally might happen where 
uh, patterns are recognized that you can't see right now and, yeah. and dots get aligned where it's like, oh, well, we should be doing this. And I, I, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I am going to play it. I'm not actually questioning it. It's just like, especially having a podcast and saying all of this out loud, there's something very embarrassing about how much I probably everyone does this, but I'm most aware of it for myself because, you know, I'm I'm the hero of my own story, right? Like, how many times in this podcast I've said, oh, I've had this breakthrough. I've had this huge insight. Here's the right way to do things. And then six months later, I've completely reverted back. <laughs> uh, and in this case, intentionally, it's not even like I don't have the discipline to do it. I'm just, I've had a different insight that's the exact opposite of the last insight. And I'm just going in circles and it's embarrassing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I I feel like, I don't know, the, the, the more experienced in life I get, the more back to basics I end up getting. Like mm-hmm. I always fall back to like, oh man, this is just so much simple. Like the simplicity of just like waking up at 5 a.m. and reading in the morning is the recipe for happiness versus like trying to do more than that. It's just like, uh, it's anyway, um, yeah. it's, it applies I, in so many fashions. I uh, like on that topic, like one of the questions that I am bringing to Big Snow Tiny Conf is I think it's everyone having a podcast like this, working in business and so on, is just without even saying it out loud, the assumption is, their question is, how do I make this the most successful I can? And Less Knowing Serum is successful enough, or is it? So my new question (laughs) is, can I do exactly what I want to do without failing? It's not what is the most success I can achieve. It's how much can I indulge in what I want to do without causing problems? And it's and, a, it's and a where mindset. Do you, where do you sort of like draw the line from a, what, what is failure? What is problems? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if we don't grow at all ever again, but everyone is happy with their salad, like let's say we just keep up with inflation. Is that enough? Do we need to grow a little bit? When I say grow a little bit, do I mean pay people more? Do I actually mean grow headcount, grow market share? Um, because I increasingly, as I get older, to your point about waking up at 5 a.m., increasingly, I'm just like, I want to code. I want to spend three days a week coding. And if the business could be twice as big if I instead worked on growth, but it won't fail, like it'll be good enough if I code, I should probably do that. That's what mm. I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I love it. Yeah. That'll All be right. an interesting conversation. I can't wait to hear about that one. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll report back. Um, Cool. Good talking to you. Morning you podcast. It worked. It, it, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> if you'd like to view past topics or show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next time. See ya.